Great coaches ask great questions. Best days at work are the days when the light bulb goes on for somebody else. Welcome back to episode eight of On It, Not In It with business coach Todd Eppert with Focal Point Consulting. Consult. I said that all right, correct? Focal Point Coaching. Oh, every time. You I do always, it every time. Every, I just like the sound consulting. You should go with consulting. Nope, not a consultant. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Now, last week we started talking about the, the, the value drivers in your firm or how do you increase the potential multiplier when you're going to sell your business. And we kind of focus on the financial side. Now, I know we were talking a little bit about how much you control in your market space. Now, if I controlled the entire market space, that would be better, right? Well, there's a couple things there. So we talked about the growth potential, right? I think that's what you're referring right. to. So if you own the entire market, if you're unless you can recreate or create more markets, you're tapped out on growth. The monopoly control value driver is more about how differentiated are you in the market space? Like, could you have a monopoly? Could you change the space? Um, think about like when Netflix first came on board and how they were so different than Blockbuster as an mm -hmm. example, right? So, and again, a lot of small business owners look at it and they go, well, I'm, I'm just an insurance agent and every insurance agent is the same as me. It's just about price. No, it's about how you treat your customers sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you can create a monopoly control just on having a process on how you treat your customers differently than other people. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great example in, um, in a book called Built to Sell. Uh, by John Warlow that talks about the fact that there's an ad agency that is struggling and mm -hmm. they, they love doing uh, logos. And so they build a unique process on how to quickly deliver high quality logos to their customers. Mm. And they take their entire business model at that. Their people love doing it. They were best at it. And suddenly instead of being an ad agency, they became a logo agency, mm. which sounds crazy to some people. Like you just took your market and you just you know, like slivered it down Zoom to something in. very, very unique. Well, if you're really, really good at it, that's how you can become a monopoly in that space. Right. So. Right. And I think that you see that more often than not, especially with entrepreneurship, is people think, I want to be everything to everybody. When yes. you can really figure out what's your niche and then really capitalize on build that brand for yourself. It's huge. Yeah. And one of the things you kind of have to do in that in that time is you got to look at the lanes you're swimming in and pick a lane. You can't swim in everybody's lane. I, I've used this example, I think, in a couple podcasts ago. But you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. <laughs> It's true. And I think so many people try though, yes. right? And that's what's tempting is let's go after the biggest cash cow first yep. and let's do it all to capture all this revenue. And then you end up creating an IT company that does it all with a Swiss army knife of IT and you realize that's not a sustainable business model. Yeah. Sorry, right. that was it. That was a tangent. But all right, cool. So so own the majority of your market and pick a market where you can own. Right. Okay. And then the second thing, you just talk about customer satisfaction. Mm. To me, is that even a value driver? Well, yeah, so when you're talking about, so how loyal are your customers? So the stronger reviews you have from your customers, the more likelihood they're going to move forward with you in any kind of transition. So again, if Nick owns all the customer relationships and he's, everybody thinks Nick is great and Nick leaves, will the customers leave because Nick owns all the relationships? Or do they feel really good about your business? So you've gotten these surveys a thousand times, the, the net promoter score surveys. Mm -hmm. Every time you do something, you get, will you, one, will you want to do a one survey question or one question survey for us, right? That's a net promoter score. Right. Um, I've used those in, and I have a tool that uses that with our businesses. Um, Google reviews are good as well. Um, in some industries, even Facebook reviews are great because um, if you're a tradesperson, everybody in the world, when there's a problem with their HVC, goes to Facebook and says, does any, they go to their community. Who knows a good Facebook person in this area? So, 
Um, Facebook reviews are good. Google reviews are good. But when you're talking about the like the real, are you really going to refer it? It's the net promoter score that is kind of the industry standard or the world standard. If people are score you as a nine or ten, they're going to promote you. If you're a seven or eight, they're neutral. They probably won't talk about you, but they won't talk good or bad about you, right? If you're below a six, they're a detractor. You got to figure out what's going on there. Hmm. Um, that's what you figure out with that. Now, how do you raise that net promoter score then? If you're a firm thinking about selling, so you treat your customers better. Then you go through all the things that we've been talking about. You have better service content. You have better products. You treat your customers with respect. You treat them with uh, dignity. You treat your customers well. They then give you a 9 or 10. And then the more you have of those, the more likelihood they're going to stick with you, whether it's um, you know Nick's agency or somebody else's agency down the road. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah. And I think that looking at sometimes the internet and all of its infinite wisdom manipulates Facebook and Google reviews, right? I mean, both for the positive and the negative. You can go hire a bunch of Russian bots that are going to come on and give you a ton of very positive reviews, but you can also go hire a bunch of Russian bots that are come down and tank your Google reviews. Or let's say you had a bad PR or one of your employees did something that the internet deemed was inappropriate, and now suddenly your Google reviews are dropping. So does that really impact the bottom line of your business during a resale? Uh, that's actually why I like the net promoter score because it's generally a... a um an anonymous survey, mm, mm-hmm. right? So there is no, nobody's going to go after you or nobody's not going to go after you if you have a problem, right? They're going to be honest about it. Mm. But yeah, certainly there are there are some, some dire things on the internet where people will tank a company or tank a person because they don't like what they're doing. They don't like what they're about. And if you're running Google reviews or Facebook reviews, it's really important from my perspective. If someone gives you a low star, review to respond to that person. It's also important to respond to the ones that give you a four or five star as well. Mm-hmm. So you, you should respond to the reviews that you get. Um, that way, because this has happened dozens and dozens of times, but somebody that you've never done work with will come in and give you a one star review or a zero star review. And the simple response for that one is, I'm really sorry you feel about that about my company. We've never worked together. Maybe you've misstarred me or whatever. And then when people look, you know, that you can't take it off. Right. A lot of people will go through reviews. My wife was one of those people that will look at a resort when we're going on vacation and she will look at the reviews and she'll go, okay, they're four, six, but there's a bunch of two star reviews and those people all traveled recently. Mm-hmm. Or there's, there's only one really bad review, but there's only four reviews. And so it's driving their, so quantity is important right? as well as quality. And then how well did you respond to them and how recent are they? Now let's talk about the appropriate response too, because I've, I've had firms actually talk to me about this. Do you, do you respond back? Be like, I'm so sorry about your bad experience. Or do you put on the defensive mode and try to prove them wrong with those Google reviews? I don't think you should ever argue on Google. That's just my personal opinion. I am not a marketing expert. I'm not a review expert just Mm -hmm. to be candid i think it's important to get them if you want to really pump them you should go find a good marketing company that's good at helping you drive good reviews um but i knew there's a button there (laughs) yeah personally when i get reviews i don't argue with my my customers particularly well i'm sorry that you feel like that nick you're just wrong that doesn't come off very well right i would much rather say hey nick i wish you would have said this to me up front so that we could deal with it or i'm sorry that you feel like that let me know what i can do to make it right is a simple way to do it. Right. Love it. Awesome. Now, one of the things that you were just talking about, the the owner leaving or, or the owner, what happens with the brand when they do leave, I mean, that's also a huge risk, right? Yeah. So how does that usually play out when they're firm? <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple things that, and, and I'll, I'll combine them together, but speak independently of each of them. Um, there's it, it really comes down to the people in your business. Okay. So if you're, go back to your lemonade stand, if you're a solopreneur and you do everything for that lemonade stand and then you leave, well... If you don't find somebody that really wants to run a lemonade stand, you probably don't have much of a value in your business. Right. 
Um, and Nick probably has all the relationships with the vendors, with the customers. With the, it's all owner dependency. Mm-hmm. That's really, really dangerous in business. So you can never leave a business if you are the owner and it is 100% depend on you. Mm-hmm. And therefore, people probably don't want to pay you for your business. And if you try to transfer it to your kids, there's a high likelihood they're going to struggle because they're not you. Right. Right. So the, you, know, you have to get yourself um, uninvolved in the business as much as possible. So that's why it takes years to do this work. And it's better when you go back to the first question you asked me today or the other day was, um, you know, how, when should I do this? So if you begin with the end in mind and you say, hey, I'm going to do this for a while as the owner, but I'm only going to do it for a year or two years. And once I get to a certain financial number, I'm going to hire a second in command or a second person to come alongside me. Or I'm going to start building processes so that I can train the next person to do right. those things, right? So that's the owner side. The other piece as you grow is you may become way too dependent on one supplier, one customer, or one employee. Um, if you think about the concept of Switzerland, mm-hmm. they've never taken a side and they get picked on a little bit for that. But they've never taken a side, therefore they never lose. It's true. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? They, a lot of people go through their country, but nobody ever stops to fight. Right. Right? So, um, so when you think about that, uh, when you look at your business, hmm. um, how do I make sure that I'm not so dependent on one key employee? And if you are, how do I make sure that that key employee has something to a reason to stick around if I move forward? So stay bonuses work, contracts work with employees getting them involved in the process, even offering them an opportunity to maybe buy in with the right, next owner, right. giving them an opportunity to stick around, or just don't be so dependent on one employee. If you're too dependent on one supplier and that supplier goes down, you're in big trouble, hmm. right? So make sure you spread the wealth with suppliers. Same thing with customers. Everybody, a lot of people start businesses and they they, they have a 80% of my revenue is driven by one customer. Isn't that awesome? No. Well, no, not if that customer goes away, and right? It scares the life out of the next buyer because they know that that customer probably has a really good relationship with you. And if you go away, there's a real good chance they're going to lose that. And person. you lost 8% of your revenue. You lost 80% of your revenue everything. overnight. Right. Yeah, right. it's not good. Yep. So the caveat there, maybe a loophole or, or something, looking at the, you're too dependent on one of your employees. If you bump that person up to the owner and they're doing now the ownership job or you sold the company, you pass off, whatever that transition looks like and selling to your inside team, would they then... They would then have to go backfill themselves in mm-hmm. that positions to take over the ownership role. So is that ever a risk? I mean, because you, if you were going from that that Swiss route, the Switzerland routine that you were just talking about, and then you were saying that this core employee is going to take over the business and they can't backfill a person, then would you then value your company lower? Does that make sense? Yeah. So so the, the, I just probably uh, maybe I mix some things together there, but that's a great question. So. If you're an owner and you're going to sell to your employees, you're not going to market. So that's probably you're probably uh, you're right, probably right, not okay. worried so much about the multiple in the business. You're probably just looking to get money out, and you probably have a pretty giving heart because you built a business that now you want to sell to your employees. Right, right. That's fair. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Same thing if you're giving it to your child, right? If you're selling it to someone else, that's going to literally a, a third party, the unknown person. Once you get your check, you don't care. Your job is to get out of the way so that you can get your check and get out of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't do some of these things, what's going to happen is we talked about this several episodes ago, but you're going to get this thing called an earnout, mm. and you're going to have to be with the business for one, two, three years as they transition the business to the new owner, and they do an earnout with a with a ma- mandatory uh, time frame for the owner to make sure that there's a successful transition. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants that. Um, think about being an owner of a business for 20, 25 years, and then you got to go work for someone for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to do that? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to? 
not get paid for the value of your business because you didn't do a good job of taking care of these things? No. So take care of these things and then go to market. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's very interesting. And seeing how the entire thing puzzle pieces, and we've talked about this multiple times before, but just thinking with the exit in mind. Is, right. Is and there's a, there's a lot of different ways to exit the business, which we talked about. The, the one we're talking about now with value drivers, this is more about if you're going to sell to a third party. Right. You have to do all of this work if, regardless if you're going to transition it to employees, sell it to a partner, give it to your kids, whatever. You have to do all this work because you got to get out of the business. Right. But we're only we're really talking about what drives value in the sale process right now. So right. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, lemonade stand example. Same thing as last episode. If I was lemonade stand that we've talked about for the last couple episodes, how would a lemonade stand leverage these different value drivers? Right. So start with monopoly control. Um, you know, it could be in the quality of your product, right? The taste of your lemonade could be a monopoly. So uh, there's a lot of people that are very loyal to specific coffee, coffee companies, as an mm-hmm. example. So that's one way to monopoly control. You, mm-hmm. You're in the right places. You've got the best product. That's one way to do it in a lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. The other way could be that you have a unique service opportunity for them. Like Maybe, maybe as an example, if they're a subscriber to your service, um, like we talked about earlier with the recurring mm-hmm. revenue, Maybe you have like ready to go cups so someone can just walk by and grab a cup and they don't have to interrupt interact with you. Maybe that's a, I don't know if that's a for good thing. For millennials, that's fantastic. Right. I don't know if that's a good thing for the right. business or not, but maybe that's <laughs> something people would love to have, right? right? So that's the monopoly side. So it's either going to be in your product quality or in some kind of service differentiator. Okay. Um, and then on the customer service side, small, I would look for uh, probably either Google reviews or Facebook reviews or some kind of net promoter score. Again, how do your will your customers come back with a new ownership group? Mm-hmm. Are they loyal to the business or are they loyal to the owner? Right. Um, a lot of people in the net promoter score will, will offer, would you recommend our business to your friends and family? 10, how important is it to you that you're working with the current owner? 10. 10, red flag, right? Potential red flag, right? You got to pay attention to that. Now, sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to give him a 10 because I love Nick. Well, that's the last thing Nick wants to see. Right. Nick right? wants to see a one. He Nick wants to see a one. Loyalty. Yeah. Wow. Right. So that's the customer satisfaction side. And then we talked a little yeah. bit already about it, but if you're doing all the work at the lemonade stand, you are owner dependent, you need to figure out a way to get out of that. Right. Write, write processes, hire a secondary people, maybe open a second location where you can hire two people mm. to run both locations and then you're bouncing back and forth for a while and then you maybe you have four and then you start to step away. Then you have a manager that runs the eight locations. That's what you want to build into your business model. That's going to reduce the hub, the uh, owner dependency. That's brilliant. Uh, it also would also help you with the the, uh, the Switzerland conversation that we talked about, but avoid the key employees. Avoid the if you only buy lemons from one place, <laughs> you could be in trouble. Right, right. that's brilliant. Um, yeah, one of the things a lot of entrepreneurs run into as well is when they start their business, they are their sole entrepreneur, right? And they they build it, they grow it, they they establish it, and they kind of keep going with it. Eventually, they have to make the transition to hiring those core team. When you're making that hire, are you thinking, could this be a good owner or or is it more of just, can you do this job? So um, there's a couple different, I mean, there's different roles that you're looking for as you're hiring people, right? Um, I, and I think I might've mentioned this book in the past as well, but the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber talks about the three eyes of a business owner. There's the entrepreneur who's the visionary, that's the growth-minded person that's always thinking about the future. There's the manager in the business who's always really checking to see how we're doing, backwards looking, checking financials, productivity reports and things like that. And then there's the technician, the people that actually do the work. So when you're hiring, you probably want to start actually with a bunch of technicians 
because you need people to do the work for you as you grow your business and then eventually start to look in there to see, do I have someone that could, I could promote to maybe be a shift manager or a, a, a location manager or something? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to do it. It also starts to build the culture around we promote from within. We're a family. We work together, even though we may not be related. Right. <laughs> right? Sometimes you are. Right. Yeah, but we're a family and you work hard to get to the next level. It, it, it really produces a great culture in an entrepreneurial small business. The temptation for an entrepreneur, though, is to, to reduce that cost as, as far as possible. So a lot of entrepreneurs look at 1099s or how can I get this labor <laughs> as cheap as possible? That's kind of counterintuitive than that, right? Well, I mean, if you want longevity with your employees, if you treat them like temps, they'll act like temps. Or 1099s, they'll act like 1099s, right? 1099 is just a contractor that will work for the higher, who's paying them the most money sometimes. Some of them are loyal, right? There's a lot of 1099s out there that are built around loyalty to specific mm-hmm. customers. So it's not always that way. But if you're talking about, um, so for instance, if you're talking about your lemonade stand, right? You're probably going to have a lot of part-time help it to start. Right. Uh, but over time, you might want to look at, do I need a full time? Do I need to offer employee, you know, benefits and things like that? Mm-hmm. That's what people are looking for today. It makes a lot of sense. That's a hard transition for a lot of firms to make. It is. It is. Nice. That's awesome. So to review all eight back to back financial, what are the financial value drivers? So financial performance itself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we talked about growth potential, scalability in the business. We talked about, uh, are you a cash um, generator? Or are you a cash suck? Uh, we talked about recurring revenue. So those are the four. And then that jumped into monopoly control. How differentiated are you in the market? What do your customers think about you? And then how reliant are you on either the owner, which is one issue, or uh, an employee, a supplier, or a customer? That's another issue. That's awesome. Now, you work with a lot of different companies. You prepare a lot of succession plans, a lot of family businesses. Which of those eight do you think people struggle with the most? Uh, I think in the small business world, it's financial performance and what we call the hub and spoke or owner dependency. That's the biggest one because I do work with a lot of firms that are one, two, five people. So the owner is heavily involved in the business. Right. So taking a step and putting someone else in that role is difficult. Right. That makes sense. That's awesome. So you think if a firm was on their way out and they were planning or a company or a, sorry, a business owner was on their way out, they're looking for succession planning, focusing on those eight core things from day one all the way through the end point, they're going to have a more successful multiplier, which in the day is going to make them more revenue. Yep. Is there any other value drivers, like a hidden value drivers, the one that no one talks about? Yeah, there's the, there's the, um, so there, there's ways to check into your employees as well. Do your, what do your employees re- review or think about you? So we talked about customer satisfaction. You should talk about employee satisfaction Ooh, at some point as well. How do you do that? Well, you can do, you can do surveys just like you do it with customers to see what your employees think of you. Do they actually want to like bring their friends in to work at the company with them? Mm-hmm. Um, do they want to bring people that they care about? Or are they just like, hey, we're looking for somebody and nobody brings any referrals? That could be a bit of a flag for you. And that's true. Right? That's a very good point. We're looking to hire two new people in the business. If none of your current employees are bringing in friends and family, you might have a problem. Yeah, that's fair. Right? That's a good point. Awesome. Well, I think that covers a really, really good segment on value drivers. Of course, if you have any questions about these value drivers, please reach out to Todd Eppert. His contact information is below.